First Peter Bible Study, Part 13, The Ideal Church, for lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Ever since his thesis statement in 1 Peter 2 verses 4 through 10, the apostle has been talking to us us Christians, as Israel, God's people that are in a state of exile until the return of Christ. We're in a foreign land, in the world, so to speak, being elevated to something higher. But with that comes a need for exilic conduct. How do we conduct ourselves as Christian exiles awaiting rescue and restoration by our Lord? St. Peter is going to start with how we treat our neighbors, how we treat our government, our employers, or if we're slaves, our masters. And then he moves on in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, to the fundamental human relationship, marriage. How do families conduct their relations with one another as Christians? But now... He's going to get into the church. How does the congregation treat one another? How do Christians treat one another outside of the context of marriage? Parishioner to parishioner, pastor to parishioner, pastor to pastor, etc. and so forth. It seems in this passage that we read for today that he just jumps there. He jumps to this ideal state of relations between Christians, giving this blast of various virtues to follow, and then an exhortation against vengeance. Now, truth be told, that's going to make this a little bit more of a brief Bible study, because we can go into all the various virtues that he gives us, get into definitions, but they're a little self-explanatory. This passage is a transitionary passage that gives us the ideal state of the church, or at least the ideal relationship between Christians, and then a motivation for Christians to continue on without seeking vengeance at the human level, an incentive that is blessing from God. The next passage is going to be getting into our motivation from Christ himself as our example. But let's go ahead and get into these verses here. Verse 8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, 
sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The word finally there doesn't mean, hey, I'm ending the letter with this. He's got a few more chapters. <laughs> he uses the word from the Greek telos, meaning that is the aim, the state of being to which we are striving in our relationship with one another as Christians. If you look at the more word-for-word -word transliteration of the verse, it says, like, now to the end, unity, sympathetic, brotherly love, tender-hearted, humble. <laughs> the telos, the goal of the congregation, should be to have this brotherhood of believers that holds all of these virtues toward one another. Of course, again, this is an ideal to which St. Peter exhorts us to strive. Christians ought to be united in doctrine and mindset. We should be compassionate to one another. We ought to be friendly and willing to listen, and everybody should be humble. All of this is pretty self-evident from the virtue of agape love, something we should hold towards all other Christians. Is that how it plays out today? Not at all. I mean, doctrinally, the church is in chaos. We don't hold much compassion for one another. Congregations end up splitting all the time because of catty factions due to people who refuse to be humble, people dressing each other down for not knowing X, Y, or Z thing, conflict over money, you name it. St. Peter understands that that conflict is going to happen. So in verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Yes, Congregations, on account of sin, are going to find themselves plagued by cliques, arguments, hard hearts, wayward of clergy pulling rank, lay theologians running around being goofballs, and all other manner of dysfunction. Since this is the case, while Christians strive to the virtues that make for harmonious living, again, that's unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, humble minds, since we're striving to that, at the very least, the hard command here is don't take revenge on one another. In the immediate context, this applies first to our relationship with other Christians. If a Christian insults you, do not insult him back. If a Christian reviles you, do not revile him back. Instead, bless him. For that's what you're called to. We obtain real blessings when we do this. It is against our instinct. If somebody insults us, we want to insult them back. If they say something mean to us, we want to say something mean back. And while there may be time for some harsh language used towards somebody the standard operating procedure among Christians is to avoid speaking in that way. Hence, St. Peter, quoting from Psalm 34, verses 11 through 16, 
Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The Apostle cites Psalm 34, verses 11 through 16, written when King David was fleeing from Saul. The blessings he brings up here as a reward for refraining from vengeance and reviling and wicked behavior in general, curiously, that's brought up for this life. King David and St. Peter both are saying, do you want to live the good life here on earth? Well, don't revile, don't speak evil, don't be deceitful, don't do evil, turn away from it, seek peace and pursue it instead, and if you do so, God watches over you, he listens to your prayers, he will not be against you the way he will be against you if you do evil. That is for this life. Do you want to live the good life? Be a man of peace. On the topic of prayer, recall that in 1 Peter 3, 7, St. Peter says that a man mistreating his wife has hindered prayers. God will not listen to him. God will treat you the way that you treat your wife. So, too, will our prayers be hindered if we are bent on vengeance and bitterness. Of course. St. Peter's not going to stop there in terms of our motivations and incentives to live peacefully, free from bitterness and vengeance and reviling. He will continue to bring up a more spiritual aspect of non-vengeance, as we might call it, as part of our sanctification in Christ. But the first thing a man perceives is the stuff around him, his experiences, and this world goals. So he brings up the psalm as a manner of bringing our attention to it. Hey, do you want to see good days, answered prayers, and productive relationships? Then don't go about speaking evil, lying, bearing false witness, or getting revenge for yourself. But lest we take this into the realm of cost-benefit analysis, you know, somebody could decide, oh man... I could see some bad days from God if I decide to take vengeance, but I think it's going to be worth it if I go out and get revenge. St. Peter is going to bring up the sanctification aspect in relation to Christ in the next passage. That will be next week. I can't wait to get into that one. That is another crucial passage for understanding 1 Peter. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and Amen.